I'm Andy Lemassu, and you're listening to African Tech Roundup's seven-part podcast miniseries that's putting a spotlight on the progress being made in creating jobs and backing entrepreneurship in vulnerable regions of Africa and the Middle East. This episode, which is the third in the series, was actually one of the live talks of the day at Spark's seventh annual Ignite conference in Amsterdam. It was a discussion provocatively themed, Shift the Power, for which I was joined by the Dutch Ambassador for Youth, Education and Work in the Dutch Ministry of Foreign Affairs, Tymond Roesboom, Evelyn Bruning, who is the Netherlands Country Director of the Hunger Project, and the Executive Director of Injaz Lebanon, Samad Dami. Many thanks to Spark for being the presenting partner of this series. Now, Spark is a Dutch NGO that's creating jobs for young people in fragile regions of North and Sub-Saharan Africa and the Middle East by boosting entrepreneurship, employability, and higher education. To learn more about Spark and the opportunities they're creating, visit spark.ngo. That's spark.ngo. In this brief highlight of a conversation, my three guests and I address the growing calls to change power dynamics within development cooperation between the Global North and the Global South. This in order to deliver on effective, market-relevant, educational and entrepreneurial interventions. Now, Tymon Roosboom is a recently appointed Dutch policymaker whose mandate is to ensure that the Netherlands is optimizing the use of public funds earmarked for advancing youth education and employment. Meanwhile, Evelyn Bruning is a self-proclaimed dragon and driver of change whose high-profile shift-the-power activism efforts within Dutch NGO circles often puts her at odds with policymakers and even fellow practitioners in the space. And prior to inhabiting a senior role at one of Lebanon's most well-respected youth-focused NGOs, Samad Dani led a storied career in her country's consumer and retail industry. And so yes, a rather eclectic bunch. It's worth mentioning that this is an independent African Tech Roundup production, and hence the opinions expressed by me, your host, and those of my guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the presenting sponsor, Spark. And with that, let's get into it. Samal, we're going to start with you. Please enlighten us in a real-world sense to the consequence of not allowing local beneficiaries to set the agenda for how you know, development uh, assistance is delivered within their context. Sure. What's so, the consequence? So we're, we're a local NGO. Uh, we have affiliation with uh, an international network. Um, and we've had the cases because in Lebanon a few years ago when all the development funds started coming in. So we've all had as um, the context of development support and funding, it kind of disrupted the whole market. And, so what, um, more money, more problems? More money. Um, <laughs> it's not more problems, but, but knowing what to do with the money and how to use it to the best uh, of, of what you can uh, is a problem. Because uh, especially that when the money came, it came already with like a, a set, you have to spend this money on doing this. Um, uh, whatever, if it was first aid or crisis management, uh, then into training, and now everybody is into entrepreneurship training, uh, which is guy, which is great for us because this is our focus. This is what we have been doing for 18 years. But at the end of the day, it's it's coming from top down, and we're seeing that sometimes this is not really what 
is needed. Um, the, or this is not what we want, or this is not what the young people. So I'm talking in the context of Injaz, we work with young people, only with youth. And we're saying we, we are losing opportunities to do much more to maximize the efficiency, to do programs that are more relevant to the, to the people who, who, uh, who need them. And when, uh, when we're not involved in, in, in the design of, uh, of the programs or in the planning of the programs, uh, we're seeing the difference. Um, definitely at the end, it's a net positive, as you, you had asked before. It is a net positive, but it's a pity that we cannot do more because we are able to do more. And the sad thing about Lebanon specifically, which is a dynamic I only recently learned about, is that you had a fairly healthy domestic yes. development finance situation. Small, very small exactly. tickets, yes. but very effective at sort of uh, money looking to help, you know, meeting need. Yeah. And this has been disrupted, ironically, by tons of money flooding the space. Yeah, is that exa correct? Exactly, exactly. And so, Evelyn, I, you know, it was referenced earlier um, that somewhere between 1% and 3% of all the development finance earmarked by the Dutch government goes to local players who then, I, I imagine, outsource to smaller players in distant places. But the agenda is very firmly set here. You hate that dynamic. You want to see a change. <laughs> well, really, it's a power dynamic, right? So who decides what the money gets spent on? And so if you look at uh, consistently between 2003 and 2020, out of the Dutch development budget, 1% goes directly to southern organizations. Now, <clears throat> as Yannick Dupont has said that, that's beads and mirrors. That's Ooh. small change. That's not Did a you guys real... feel that? That was like, uh, a, that stung a little. Yeah. <laughs> well, and rightly so. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's intrinsically wrong. Um, so to me, take, I would even take that one step further um, because really in the end, who should decide what happens to the investment that is needed to solve these issues are the communities themselves, not intermediary organizations either from the north or from the capital who look down on local communities and, and decide for them, you know, you can do a participatory workshop and then we'll jointly decide you need a water well, right? Um, so really driving the agenda of change should be local communities. And so that's even one step further than directly funding certain organizations. Yeah, Taiman, you've spent a lot of time living in, in the global south. And I think that colors your perspectives on, you know, maybe the policy gaps that exist. And cert it certainly, I imagine, colors the policies you are currently influencing within the context of your role. You and I discussed, you know, off mic um, a couple of days ago, a very specific example of how this played out in your life uh, in a very specific situation. I think it was Kenya. I'd like you to share that story and, and, and then maybe share how it's influencing your day-to-day -day assertion of policy making or, you know, contributing to policy. Yes, I think that was the discussion we had about uh, when, when we discussed that also for me, it means uh, shifting the power. It also means to, to make sure that the local context, the local context is actually leading. And again, like to talk to young people about this as a, not as a beneficiary only, but as a partner as well and really make that move. And I think we discussed that there was, uh, in my experience, because yes, I lived in, 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 in Kenya and in, in Somalia and South Sudan uh, for 
seven years in the end, uh, so it's quite long. And there was um, a good example of you really saw, I, I talked to a group of young people and they just told me, whatever you do, if you want to work on youth employment, do not work with the Chamber of Commerce because these are just, they're actually Somali young people because these are actually only just making sure that the, the, the established companies get their, get their share and they're really not in it for the young people. So after that, I meet, uh, fortunately not with someone from the Netherlands, but with someone from an international organization, which does not need to be named and shamed. Um, Do it. I'm joking, joking. It was the EU. Um, the EU. Well. <laughs> fellow, I, I, I was transparent here, and meanwhile, no one noticed. Um, no, it was actually, and they literally said, like, yeah, we've got a youth employment program. And for example, we're really going to invest in the Chamber of Commerce. And I was like, oh, no, no, don't tell me you're going to do that. I've just heard from a group of young people saying that that is not the way forward. And they got a bit like up and down the chair, like, hmm, yeah, maybe we should have asked. And yes, you should have asked. And I think that for me was a very clear example of like, this is what you could have. It's not just enough to say we're going to invest in a country with a young population, for example. You actually have to make sure that you, you invest in young people. And there's a, there's a difference between that. And you only get that by actually listening and seeing them seriously. The partners who are there, seeing them as real partners, equal partners. Yeah. So, folks, this conversation is going to spark. Can I, can I challenge yes. Timon? On, go ahead, on, go ahead. Just listening to young people won't do. I mean, if you just listen to the needs of communities and then write up a plan for them, rather than give them the power to set their own agenda, it's a decision-making power, not just being heard. Are you challenging the politics with that statement? Yes. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> no, she's I mean, challenging the politics. And to be fair, um, can I just acknowledge the fact that you are working actively on policy that you hope will change dynamics like this and others? No, of course. I mean, there is a, there is a, a movement, so to say, towards uh, more equal partnerships uh, without a doubt. I mean, that is something that we see within the broader policy, not just on youth, but generally we're seeing that. Um, that is also really something that is with, uh, the, so to say, the northern organizations, as we're calling them here, to actually make sure that they get these equal, uh, because it's really with them as well. And so, so yes, of course, I mean, you can challenge that, but I think it's, it's, it's very clear. It's not just about listening. That's why I said they, they're partners. I mean, a partner is not someone you just listen to or you have a very bad marriage, I would say. Before we get back to the episode, allow me to tell you a little bit about the presenting sponsor of the series, Spark, and what makes them rather unique. Now, Spark is a Dutch NGO that's committed to building the capacity of local partner organizations and institutions in order to more effectively identify and meet the needs of the young people it's trying to serve. Since being founded by two Dutch students a little over 25 years ago, the organization has grown to deliver expert job creation services in 14 of the world's most conflict-affected regions, including Libya, Palestine, and South Sudan. To learn more about Spark and the opportunities they're creating, visit spark.ngo. That's spark.ngo. And now, back to the episode. Samar, with the little time we have left... Um, I want you to reflect on your experience in the private sector because you, uh, you might not know this about Samar. Um, Samar, you know, obviously comes from the world of, I suppose, commercial interest and efficient deployment of capital. And so you come into this world, what, how many years ago? Uh, two years ago. Two years ago. And it was like literally uh, jumping into, uh, you know, an icy river on uh, a minus... 15 degree day. 
right? But reflect on what we're talking about here in pragmatic sort of capitalist terms and what your observations have been looking at what apparently doesn't make sense to you. Sure. So my first experience um, and coming from a private sector and and trying to maximize efficiency, reduce costs, grow, invest in more. And uh, I was in a meeting once I said, oh, we can save. I, there is a way to save on this and then we can spend it on somebody, on something else. And they look, all looked at me as, oh, you've never worked in the NGO sector. Somebody's new. Uh, yes, <laughs> you cannot save. We're not allowed to save. And I said, how come I cannot allow, how am I not allowed to save? And, and that was my, my first, and I still honestly hate it. Um, because we see, we're, we're used to working in a private sector or in the commercial sense that you, you maximize efficiency wherever you, you can. When you have, when you can save on something, you can invest it in something else and, until you grow and you have the flexibility. Um, unfortunately, in, in the world now we are working on, it's so restrictive. It's, it's ridiculous sometimes because we're, we're allowed, let's say, to spend $5,000 on, on buying stationery. And I find a way to, okay, I can use digital and I don't want to spend it on stationery, but I'm not allowed to spend the 4000 I save on something, maybe a, a program, de developing a program for young people. And that's, that's the most frustrating part. It was probably naive of me. It was considered, but I like, and somebody talked about being the naivety should be there. We shouldn't, we shouldn't just say this is how it works. And, and I'm still questioning and I try to question all the time. How can we do better? Because there's so many, so much of the resources are just not going the right place because of all these huge restriction and um, there's no flexibility. Yeah. And I, I heard like uh, the CEO IKEA Foundation and I, just to share with you something the first time, uh, so we don't have IKEA in, in Lebanon, but I was in the Emirates and the first thing I liked about IKEA, I saw something in the, it was about customer service and it says, it's okay to change your mind. And, and I use it every time. Unfortunately, in the NGO sector, you're not allowed to change your mind. You, you, you come in, you propose something, then two or three months into the project, you find, ah, this is not really working as we thought or as we had planned. And you cannot change. And that's the worst that, that can happen. So that's, that's the very opposite of what you do in the real world. As, as a Zimbabwean who comes from, I suppose, by some definition, a fragile state, the intuitive understanding that things don't work out as planned when you set out to do something, whether it's to start a business, whether it's, frankly, just to send your parents some money or keep their farm alive or plan to visit home, um, nothing works to plan. And I feel, uh, on some level, isn't this an issue of some sort of cognitive dissonance of that reality about fragile places in the world and how help needs to be flexible enough to, to, to work with that. And then the other reality I have to pair that with is there's a fair amount of good reason why civil servants like Timon can't approach development finance like, oh, wonderful, you need more what? Okay, fantastic, here you go. Um, there has to be a certain level of controls and... Uh, I suppose, due diligence and 
How do you balance that as a closing thought? Think about what you're about to say really as a springboard for the rest of us to have these conversations going forward. Yeah, I would say that, 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 that you're right. You can't just say uh, you spend your money on whatever. I mean, that is, of course, exaggerating it. Um, yes, we need a, a flexibility for sure. And I think that within the type of, 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 of partnerships that, that we fund or within the type of corporations that we have, we always need to make sure that there is flexibility, that it at least adapts to the reality, as I just said as well. That is very important. But, but yes, you're right. In the end, this is a taxpayer's money. And there are certain rules and regulations that we need to adhere to. So that is, a, considering it's not, doesn't need to be a concluding remark, but more an open question. I'm, I'm quite sure that will always remain a bit of a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah. And agency will remain an issue, right? Evelyn? I'm quite sure that we will keep challenging that challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to see 40% of that earmarked spend? Well, I want it spent going to... directly to the global south. Oh, for sure. 40% from one it's currently like, to 40 It's like in the Netherlands, we're going to vote in Parliament next week for a quota for women to have more powerful positions in uh, in the business environment. At some point, you're going to have to set quota uh, as, a, as a vaccination against the persistence of non-change that we have. Um, so even though that's not the end solution, the end solution is having communities themselves set the agenda, not the intermediaries, wherever they're from. Um, and so the fear that is underneath mispenditure has driven NGOs to become bookkeepers of change rather than drivers of change. And we need to break that fear. Um, and if we don't stand taller in the public space and explain also in the Netherlands to the taxpayer all the wonderful results that have been achieved with their funding, then we won't get that leeway. So there's a role there for, for each and every one of us to stand taller in that space and to proudly proclaim what you did do with the 4,000 that you saved on stationery and everything else that you did. Um, because we're, we're just sort of taking on this, this broad waves of, um, of cynicism that, that the public opinion is throwing at us. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think we should, st- stick with that. That's not where we need to be going. There's no room for cynicism, apathy, jaded, uh, sort of tiresome, Thank you. stooping. <laughs> Guys, let's get together. Let's and, all be dragons, right? Well, <laughs> um, maybe not. <laughs> but let's make sure we progress yeah. on fertile ground. And Absolutely. sometimes you need to burn some stuff to ashes <laughs> before you can get to fertile ground. That's as good a place as any to put this down. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me thank uh, First Time and Roosboom, uh, Dutch Ambassador for Youth and Education and Work, <laughs> Evelyn Bruning, Country Director for the Hunger Project, and of course, Samar Dani, Executive Director of Injaz Lebanon. Thank you, all three of you. Thank you very much. <laughs>